Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strance, live from the Kintech studio. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or our beauties in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Com. Get your texts in. we got an open segment coming up next, so we can dive into the inbox then. But right now, as mentioned, pleased as always to welcome to the show the voice of the Canucks here on 650, our guy, Brendan Bachelor. Batch, what's up, man? Not much. How's it going? Uh, it's going very well. I don't know about you. I'm having a lot of fun watching the Canucks these days. Wait, like yeah. that, yeah. that game last night in particular, I mean, obviously the three games in the New York area were a ton of fun as well, but that one had some real intensity to it, some real bite. And, you know, from your perspective, what is, is this? Year six, year seven for you? Year seven. Year yeah. seven. Not a lot of games like that. <laughs> You've called. How much fun are you having right now? Just on a day-to-day basis calling these games. Oh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. You know, the only thing I can even compare it to is the bubble playoffs, and those were great but felt very different because of the circumstances going on mm-hmm. in the world at the time. Like, this it, it, this second half of the season is going to be a lot of fun, and it's going to be really interesting because, as I think I've mentioned with you guys before, we haven't seen this team have a stretch run that wasn't a death march, really. Like, they had a chance at having a stretch run in 2020 uh, when COVID kicked off and the season was put off and and the bubble playoffs were happening there. Like, they were legitimately in the mix, battling for a playoff spot at that point. Other than that, though, they haven't really been seriously in the playoff conversation, to my memory anyway, Uh, you know, very much in the second half of the season. So uh, to have it be a a situation where not only are they playing well, are they entertaining, are they scoring a lot of goals, more goals than anyone else in the league, uh, more five-on-five goals than anyone else on the league as well. But now we're talking about them as front runners, as a team Mm -hmm. that's leading the pack. So it's not even like, oh, the, the stretch run's interesting where they're jockeying for a position. Like, if they keep winning, they won't have any jockeying to do. They're starting to run away from the teams in their division, and that's a, a very different feeling but an exciting one uh, to follow this team on a day-to-day basis. And, you know, Drancer and I have talked a lot this week since the lotto line's been back together about, you know, they're winning these games, but the style they're doing it in, the way they're doing it in, feels more, even more impressive than some of the things they did earlier in the year, right? And obviously they've played well all year, but it just seems like this is kind of the peak of performances we've seen, obviously starting with the top of the lineup. Does it feel different to you in a similar way? Yeah, I think since the lotto line got put together, it's 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 taken another big step towards, oh, okay, you know, and, and not that I, I didn't think it was real prior to this, but you know, you're always sort of saying, well, they're playing very well. Are they going to have a tough stretch? Where are they actually going to end up? Are they, you know, going to be high up in the division? Are they, you know, going to fall into third place potentially and not have home ice in the playoffs? Could they be a wild card team? And with the lotto line playing this way, and I think it's important to point out that um, they may not continue at this pace the rest of the season because it's been pretty incredible. But I'm starting to think that we have to talk about this team as a legitimate Stanley Cup contender now, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, a a big 
change and, um, you know, sort of a, a shift in thinking that I think a lot of us here, you know, in Vancouver have to go through because for so many years, the thinking has been the opposite. And, you know, take the trade deadline as an example. Like most years, it's been about, no, don't buy, see what you can sell, try to keep as many draft picks as possible, acquire as many draft picks as possible. And I think now, over the next couple of months, we really have to start shifting our focus to saying, okay, this might be a a unique opportunity with how well this team is playing and how well they've done that you might have to do the exact opposite of that and look at what you can do to help this group of players achieve as much as possible heading into the postseason this year. Yeah, and it's interesting, Batch, because it feels like the Canucks have taken, you know, I don't want to say a step, but they've. it feels like they've maybe added a gear uh, over the course of this week. At the same time, you know, you look around, and I've been making this argument all week, it doesn't feel like as top-heavy this year as it often has. It just feels a little bit more wide open in terms of there being, you know, as many as 10 to 12 teams that I could realistically see having a shot. Absolutely. And and now you have to include the Canucks as one of those yep. teams. Like, there, there is no Boston Bruins of last year, and maybe they're a bad example because of what happened to them <laughs> in the playoffs. But, like, you know, through the entirety of the season, it was the Bruins are the Stanley Cup favorite. The Bruins aren't losing games. Look at them running away with everything. And, you know... The conversation, I think, you know, aside from the Bruins was, was I don't know, what would you say, three, four, maybe five teams that we legitimately thought could win the Stanley Cup. And, of course, the Florida Panthers were not one of those teams. And, look, they went all the way to the Stanley Cup final, so what do we know? But, yeah, I, I, I think things are more competitive across the NHL right now than I've seen in recent years to the point that we know for a fact that there will be very good teams, teams that you might consider cup contenders that will be out in the first round. And that's not just this season. That's something we've seen over the last few years. So Gary Bettman's got the the parody that he's hoping for, right? Like, I don't think we look at any one team and think that they're just going to, you know, run through the, the postseason and, and clinch the Stanley Cup easily. So that's exciting, and it's exciting that the Canucks are in that conversation as one of those teams that can be considered a part of that top group of contenders. We're all talking about the five-man unit with good reason. They're dunking on everybody. Yeah. But what's the depth performance from this week that stands out to you? Let's spread the wealth. Yeah, well, I, I, I've been saying this all week, so, I'll, you know, I, I don't know if I want to individually pinpoint one player or anything like that, but Rick Tockett would not be able to put the lotto line together, and he would not be able to play Quinn Hughes and Philip Heronek on the same defensive pairing night in and night out if he didn't have depth that he could trust. Uh, so there's a lot of credit that has to go around. You know, I, obviously we've given the Bluger line a lot of flowers this year, and rightfully so. They've been a, a huge difference maker for the Canucks. You know, I think the the Suter lines played pretty well and had some good moments, even if there hasn't been a ton of offense there. Uh, the Niels Oman lines had some good stretches. You know, the Canucks blue line is is deep now. Where like, who do you even think is the second pairing? You could debate that between. Susie Myers and Zadorov Cole or Juleson, depending on on who's in on a nightly basis. 
And, you know, it, it shows you how depth can allow your roster to unlock even more than you thought it was capable of. Because if you felt like you had to have Pedersen and Miller apart because your depth would hurt if, if you did that, or that you couldn't have Hughes and Hironic playing together because what's going to happen when the rest of the guys are on the ice, when they are not, even if they, you were to play them, you know, close to half the game. Well, that's not an issue for the Canucks because they've targeted players that have come in and filled roles in the spots that they need them to in the lineup to the point that, you know, like that Teddy Bluger line is probably the Canucks second line in terms of importance right now. And I don't think I would have pegged any of those three guys save maybe for Connor Garland as a legitimate top six option for this team coming into the season. So it shows how when you have performances further down the lineup, it allows your top players, A, to have less pressure to produce on a night-to-night basis because you know that you can get offense from elsewhere in the lineup if you need it, but also you can put all your top eggs in one basket like they've done with the lotto line and the hughes heronic pairing, and they're reaping the rewards of that right now. I think the blue line being able to uh, hold up right away from Hughes and Hronick and playing with the the other three lines is a big part of this uh, as well, allowing them to get those five guys out there together as much as possible. So, you know, the other thing about the way the team is playing and as we start to look ahead to the trade deadline in early March is all of a sudden we're having very different conversations than we're used to at this time of year about what they yeah. should do. How aggressive do you think they should be, and what would the pieces or piece or pieces uh, that you would be targeting would be? And and as I said, you know how how aggressive should they be in terms of trying to upgrade this team ahead of the deadline? Yeah, if you asked me a week ago, I would have said moderately aggressive, in that um, you know go out and try to make ads to help this team, but maybe don't go for a pure rental or you know don't mortgage a ton of the future. And, you know, obviously you still would prefer to not do those things, but you know, you you just look at how well this team is playing. And again, four games on this road trip is a small sample size. So I don't want to get too carried away by how well they've been playing since they put the lotto line together, but I'm starting to lean towards being very aggressive. Mm -hmm. Um, Just because, you know, Stanley cup windows are interesting things. Contention windows are interesting things. And you never know how long they're going to last. You never know what the future is going to hold. You never know what sort of variables you're going to have to deal with in future seasons. And the only thing you do know is that this team has played itself into a position where now we have to talk about them as Stanley Cup contenders. They've been healthy. They've been consistent. You know that if you add to this team, they have a chance to go on a run and and potentially have a look at a a very deep playoff run this year. After this season, you know, I'm not saying that their contention window slams shut or anything like that. In fact, there's a a likelihood that it's even extended further by how far some of their top players have really elevated their games and and the, the level that they've shown that they're able to play at. But, you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush and the bird that you have in your hand right now is a Stanley cup contender. (laughs) So what you should do is do everything you possibly can to give this team the best possible chance to have as much success as possible this season. And if you do have to give up the first round pick, if you do have to make some moves that might have a little bit of longer term pain, 
then I think you should do it because there are other factors that play into this as well, not just that, you know, things, as Jim Rutherford so aptly put it at the start of the season, everything has gone right for this team to be in the situation that they are, but there are factors that are going to make it harder for this organization to replicate this. Obviously, they've got a bunch of pending free agents. They're not going to be able to keep them all. You know, two-thirds of that Bluger line, those guys need contracts. Um, you, you know, the OEL buyout becomes more yep. onerous on your salary cap with every passing year. So these are all things that lead me to say this might be the Canucks' best chance in this core group's contention window to win a Stanley Cup. It may not, but it very well may. And if you look back on this year and say we didn't do enough to give these guys the opportunity – you could regret it going forward. Well, that's the thing. And, you know, we were talking with uh, with Don Taylor and Rick Dollywall earlier in the week, and Dollywall says, well, hey, what if you go out and make a big splash and you lose in the first round? And, yeah, that would be tough. But as you say there at the end, if you if you hold Pat or just tinker around the edges and you lose in the first round, it's going to feel like a major missed opportunity, right? I think you're going to be saying, oh, man, I wish we had been more aggressive to seize this moment and take, take advantage of this opportunity. Now, the other thing I find very fascinating here, and obviously it's been a big talking point at different points this season, not so much right now with the way the team is playing, but you look at Andre Kuzmenko, and as we talk about trying to upgrade the top six, with the way the relationship has gone between him and Rick Tockett, you know, if you were able to clear his salary, that opens up a lot of room for you to do different things. And I also just wonder, and I know Drance has made this point, you know, if they are in a heated playoff environment, does is Tockett going to be able to trust him do you still think as well as the team is playing right now and he seems to have found a spot in the lineup for at least the time being that it could make sense for the team to move Kuzmenko and, and try to do something else with that cap money this year? Yeah, it could for sure. Um, whether that is the the best route for them to take, I'm not entirely convinced of that yet. But, you know, to be blunt about the situation, in order to upgrade the team, to the level that, that you'd like to, like bring in another top six forward. You know, those guys don't come for free. They have, you know, sizable contracts, generally speaking. So you are going to need to create cap flexibility. And there are so only, only so many options on the roster Canada pension plan you benefits are secure. in order Thanks. to try and create some of that flexibility. So Kuzmenko is one of those options that if you can find a home for him somewhere else, it frees you up to go and make some of these big ads or, or multiple ads potentially um, that, that you'd like to do. Now, is Kuzmenko the only player they could move off of uh, to try and create some more flexibility? No, he's not. Is there a chance that Kuzmenko's game trends in the right direction in the second half to the point where he could be a big help to them in a playoff run? I think that's absolutely the case. So I'm not sitting here today and saying they absolutely need to trade him. But if they have the option to bring in a player that could make a big difference for this group and the only hurdle they need to clear is salary cap room, then it comes back to what I was talking about earlier, which is I think you have to do everything you can to give this team the best chance to have success this year. And if that means trading Andre Kuzmenko, then so be it. All right, Batch, it's time to play a game. Okay, here we go. What are we doing? You're calling the Canucks a contender? Even I've been calling the Canucks a contender. Let's do contender tiers. Okay? So I'm going to give you the 12 Oof. teams. 
that I considered to have a reasonable shot, and I want you to tier them for me, and then we can debate. Okay, you ready? I'm going to give you the teams to make it somewhat easy, but it's going to be on you to remember them. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to grab a pen while you're doing this, so I don't forget any of them. But go Sounds ahead. Sounds good. Keep going. Jets, Bruins, Avs, Panthers, Canucks, Rangers, Stars, Maple Leafs, Kings, Hurricanes, Oilers, Golden Knights. And I'm going to throw in the New Jersey Devils. Interesting. Um, okay, so I'm, I'm, I didn't get a pen in time, so I'm going to struggle to remember <laughs> all of these teams. But <laughs> let's, let's start with the teams that I think have to be in that top tier. Vegas, certainly, just because they're coming off yep. being a Stanley Cup champion. You know what they're capable of. Um, you know, even if things have, have been a little bit more up and down for them lately, they're still a very dangerous team. They have the experience. They have the, you know, the Stanley Cup uh, that they've achieved. So you have to put yeah. them in that conversation. I think the New York Rangers have to be in that conversation too. I know the Canucks played very well against them the other night, but the, the Rangers to me are one of the most impressive teams that I've watched this year. And, and I think they're built very well for a potential deep playoff run. Um, I'll, I'll let you finish the top tier because I'm struggling to remember all the teams you listed. Who else do you put in that top tier, Dranson? Well, I don't. I, I wouldn't put the Rangers. Okay, interesting. Yeah, but I, I think you're right that Vegas deserves like the respect, even though at no point this season have they played like a Stanley Cup team. You know, like if they weren't the defending champs, and if they didn't look so loaded on paper and we were just judging it off their form this year, we'd be like, yeah, that's a team that started hot and, you know, is fine. They're a clear playoff team, but... Um, so, honestly, I think my top tier would probably be... Edmonton? Florida? Edmonton, even with the goaltending, hey? Oh, yeah. Edmonton, Florida, Carolina. Uh, wow. That would be that and would Vegas. be my top team, top tier. And Vegas. And Vegas, yeah. yeah. That would be those it, four teams would be in, in at my at the apex tier for me, and then I'd have like a tier lower that would be like Vancouver, Colorado, mm. uh, New York, Boston, and L.A. And then and honestly, I might have L.A. in the top tier, and then I'd kind of have, you know, Dallas, Toronto. Um, Oh, sorry. I'd also have Winnipeg in that tier with Vancouver. It's a big. I feel yeah. like the second tier is big, and Colorado it's like was five teams. Colorado was the other team that I would consider putting up in the top tier for similar reasons to Vegas, right? Because the respect of them being a recent champion and also the high end talent when they're going, like they can go, is kind of ridiculous there. So Colorado might be another team I would put in the top tier of contenders. I just I saw them chase last year in, in the playoffs, right? And it's like at some point. It's like, oh boy, that's a lot of Evan Rodriguez. Mm. You know what I mean? And like, I I don't know if they add another forward, they're definitely going up to the top tier. But I think they need another like stud forward, not just a depth guy. Yeah. So basically, yeah. the top two tiers though, that's like what, like ten teams right there. Yeah, it's big. Yeah. No, it, that's exactly. What I'm saying. It's a different and, season. And you know, we're, we're all going to have different views. Like, I I really like the Rangers. I've been very impressed with the games I've 
watched of them. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how things go uh, in in that division in particular, because there's some good teams there and, and they're going to have a tough path. And I, I wonder if, like, it's not necessarily something you think about when ranking top teams. You just look at, man, these teams are really good. But do we need to start looking at it in the sense of, Who's going to have the toughest path mm. to potentially get there? Who's going to have an easier path? You know, who, like, in the Pacific Division, if you're the Oilers and the Golden Knights and the Canucks and the Kings, and we're considering all four of those teams Stanley Cup contenders, then that means you have to outlast three other Cup contenders in order to even get to the point where you're in the final four, potentially, mm-hmm. unless, you know, you see a team from a wild card position end up in the in the west final that way so um that that to me is an interesting part of this conversation too is all these cup contenders who might have the easiest path and none of the paths are going to be easy but whose path seems more straightforward in terms of being able to get there and i don't know what the answer is to that off the top of my head without sort of digging into it a little bit more but i do think that maybe you can dock some of the pacific division teams a little bit based on the fact that there are other very good teams and look every team that makes the playoffs in the nhl is a good team i'm not trying to to downplay it but if we're talking about you know all these stanley cup contenders in one division then you know the math just says that you can't all win the stanley cup or you can't all get to the second and third and fourth round it's a really good point the Nature of the Pacific, the gauntlet nature of the Pacific at the top end, to me is honestly the best reason for caution. Like the best reason to keep your powder dry is the fact that you have to probably play two contender caliber teams to even make it, you know, as you said, to the conference semis. Um, what, what What's your take on how the dynamics in the Pacific should or, or should not shape Vancouver's approach at the deadline? Well, I, it depends if they're in a position to win the Pacific by the deadline. So if they continue to roll as they have, and we get to the deadline and they've got a cushion atop the division and you confidently feel like they will win the division in the regular season, then you can be more aggressive. I feel because you know that you're getting a wild card team in the first round. And guess what? Maybe that wild card team is going to be out of the Pacific division. Like maybe you get, you know, whichever team of Vegas, Edmonton or LA is unable to finish in the top three mm-hmm. in the division, um, which would still be a very tough out, but at least, you know, you're not in the two, three matchup playing a team that might've been really close to you in the standings. And then knowing that, even when you win that series, you've got to go and face a team that was better than you in the regular season. If the Canucks fall into the two, three matchup uh, or, or don't win the division or aren't in a position uh, where you can confidently say that they will win the division, uh, then maybe I'd be a little bit more conservative, but here's the other factor though. Um, You know, the Kings are a good team, but I'm not convinced by their goaltending. The Oilers are showing that they are a better team than they started the season as but i'm not confident in their goaltending either i would take thatcher damko over aiden hill i think although that's a close race and those are both some pretty good goaltenders playing behind pretty good defenses so that to me is what as a canucks fan would still give me a fair bit of 
confidence and and maybe you sort of say okay goaltending is in the Canucks favor uh in the the pros if we're doing a pros cons list pros are the Canucks might have the best goaltender in the division or at least one of the top two goaltenders in the division the cons list is playoff experience and lack thereof for a team that you know hasn't been uh, a regular in the postseason as opposed to teams like the Oilers and the Kings that have battled each other in playoff series and the Golden Knights who just won a Stanley Cup. So these are all things they're going to have to weigh. Um, but I, I, I do think the goaltending for the Canucks is a big factor that maybe gives them an edge over some other teams in the Pacific because that can make all the difference. As we saw, Thatcher Demko and Bubble Demko in the bubble, he nearly made the difference for the Canucks. He got them to Game 7 in a series where – you know, they probably didn't deserve to go that far. And that's what a strong goaltender and a strong performance like that could do for you when you get to that point in the season. And part of this will also depend on whether the Oilers and Kings make moves to improve things in the crease and, and address some of those issues. So that remains to be seen. But I, I would weight that a little more heavily than, than maybe some others would in terms of being confident that your goaltending can carry you through in some of those tough moments. Uh, it's a great conversation to be having, Batch. Thanks for doing it with us, and uh, enjoy the games, uh, the rest of the games on this road trip, and uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks, boys. That is Brendan Batchelor, as mentioned, voice of the Canucks here on Sportsnet 650. You can hear Batch uh, 1 o'clock p.m. start time tomorrow when the Canucks take on the Sabres. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dimitri will join us at 1.30 to wrap up the show. We've got an open segment up next so get your thoughts in we'll read some texts uh we'll continue to dig into some of what uh is in the rumor mill today and in quotes from patrick alvin and jim rutherford as well so lots more coming up on the show here on canucks talk sportsnet 650 Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, as mentioned, open segment here. Dmitry Filipovich will join us, uh, I believe, for his first hit of 2024 with us at 1.30. So that's very, very exciting. Austin and Langley text in here. Uh, what Canucks prospects slash players that are options to be moved actually have positive 
and meaningful value. That's from Austin and Langley. And obviously, they have a lot of things they could move that have value, right? You know, if, if they decided to put first-round picks and uh, Tom Valander, Jonathan LeCaramacchi on the table, prospects of those tiers, I think what Austin is getting at is if they try to, you know, keep some of those off the table, especially LeCaramacchi and Valander, what else do they have that might actually move the needle for teams? And, you know, one guy whose name has been uh, in conversation this week, and I know Rick Dollywall was talking about him on our morning show of Halford and Bruff as well, is Niels Hoaglander. And, you know, what Dollywall had to say was basically, you see the flashes from Hoaglander, but there are still those trust issues between him and Rick Tockett, but because of his youth, because of the fact that he's on a cheap deal for next season as well, there's uh, team control beyond that with more RFA years, and the as I said, the youth and the offensive upside, you know, that could be a piece that you put into a package and could actually get teams interested. Teams will call on Niels Hoaglander. And, you know, I'm, I'm of two minds with the idea of including Niels Hoaglander because I really like the player, right? And I think you've, you've seen how he can contribute to this team this year. Having said that, you know, he's also shooting the lights out in a way he hasn't done before in his NHL career. And, you have to be willing to give up things of quality if you're going to get a quality piece, right? And there, I, I do think, you know, we've talked about this with Andre Kuzmenko. If you, if the coach doesn't trust you, what are, what's your usage going to look like in the, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, right? Like if you're playing, un, and if in Niels Hoaglander's case, I think he played like eight minutes last night. If you're playing eight minutes in a pretty intense regular season game, what's your usage going to look like when the Stanley Cup playoffs roll around? So, you know, I could see a scenario absolutely where Hoaglander ends up being really valuable for this team, but I could also see a scenario where he falls further out of, fl- uh, of favor with Rick Tockett. And in that situation, I think if he has value, if teams are not that he'd be the main piece of a big splashy deal to bring back a star or anything like that. But I've seen some people say like, oh, no, they can't trade Hoaglander. I, I should be off the table. And I just don't think they're in that position. I think you absolutely have to be willing to consider uh, to include him in a trade for the right piece. Yeah, I mean, I think you have to consider everything depending on what's coming back. Like, mm-hmm. truly, you know, because I, I agree with you. It's just you better be getting something really, really good if Hoaglander's a secondary piece in a deal. Right. But you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, as much as we talk about Kuzmenko's usage, like Kuzmenko averages more five on five ice time than Hoagland. Uh huh. So you're right. Like there is clearly, you know, I mean, he earned a promotion of the second line for what? Two weeks, two weeks, probably something like that. Yeah. It didn't last it a good. super long time. And, you know, look, I could. <sighs> Again, I, I I understand the argument, obviously, for keeping Hoaglander. Because, like, would it shock you if, you know, you get to the playoffs and there's an injury or there's a lineup uh, juggle for some reason and Hoaglander ends up back in the top six and, you know, on a line that kind of catches fire for at least a few games in the playoffs? Like, that wouldn't surprise me at all. I can see how you would be a valuable piece to have. But it's also, as Austin and Langley illustrates, you know, you kind of have to take stock of what are the pieces that could actually move the needle for another team, right? And if Jim yeah, Rutherford wants a, a legit top six piece, you, you got to include some of those pieces, and one of them is Niels Hoaglander. No question. Um, you know, I, I, I'm i a big fan of his game. I think he can absolutely be a supporting top six piece. I think the return would have, like, what you're getting back, you need to be buying a real difference maker, in my view. Mm-hmm. If you're talking, like, Hoaglander... Plus, like Hoaglander and a you know, first. Much less Hoaglander plus plus. Yeah. 
Yeah, if it's like Hoaglander in a first, that's a that's a pretty significant package that you're sending out, especially if it's then. If he is the player in the classic, you know, player pick prospect package, right? That then you really have to be talking about an impact piece. But again, the I, I think they should be looking at real impact pieces. So that makes uh, perfect sense for me why they would consider trading him. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Lots of people texting in now. Uh, about Pod Coles, and this one set from Ryan and Port Moody. Why not focus on moving Pod Coles and out instead of Hoaglander? I believe there's more upside with Hoaglander. Pods is younger, could be more of interest to buyers. We also have other people texting and just asking generally about what's going on with Facility Pod Coles. And Keaton says, What are you guys thinking about Pod Coles? It's been really quiet on him this year. Is he taking strides? Is he on track? Is he a trade asset? I think what would you say? Hoaglander has to have more value than Pod Colson at this point, wouldn't he? Or or does the or does the physicality and that profile from Pod Colson still give him uh, more value in the eyes of the uh, the league? You know, it's uh, it's the old gift card versus cash on hand thing, right? Your mileage mm. will vary, right? Like there are still teams that would prefer the the Pod Colson project and value that more highly because he's a rarer player type if he hits. Right. Um, plus, he's got the draft pedigree. There are other teams that would be like, you know, or that would view Hoaglander as a potential like long term answer in the top six. And, you know, I think the Hoaglander discussion, like, let's put it. Let's add some specificity to the discussion. Right. So when people are, you know, people like Jason Bruff are shaping uh-huh. fake Gensel trades. Uh-huh. Right. Was his Kuzmenko, Kuzmenko and Hoglander? Okay. But realistically, given that Gensel would be probably the single top player available if he were to shake loose ahead of the deadline, right? Mm-hmm. Kuzmenko's like a part of the trade that you probably have to pay Pittsburgh to take back mm-hmm. because of the $5.5 million for next year if they don't rate him. Right now, in the event that Pittsburgh's like, hey, we're not, you know, we don't have time for that player. We don't view Kuzmenko as like an affordable alternative to Gensel in our top six. Right. Um, If that's the case, then that would be viewed as like a, a drag on the overall value of your package. Whereas a Hoaglander type, it's like fast, wins battles skilled enough maybe to complement skilled players mm-hmm. you know would that be the piece where you're like you know we're getting a guy who we think can be 75 percent 60 percent of Gensel some somewhere in that range for 20 percent of the cost of his current deal right and probably 10 percent of his next deal I mean is that like that would be a situation where Hoaglander would actually have more value even than Kuzmenko I think so you know, it just depends on wh- how teams view the respective players. And, and when you're talking about, you know, a project like Pod Colson, who's played well in the American League of late, but, you know, certainly he's not lighting the league on fire, right? Like, he's not point-per-game plus or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that would be a, a player where, you know, your mileage will vary depending on, you know, your view of his upside and how close he is to hitting it. Uh, This text comes in. Canucks fans constantly want to trade the player that is not performing. Last year, they wanted to trade Besser or Garland. Uh, Now they want to trade Pods instead of Hoaglander. you got to give up value to get value. And I think that's one of the reasons that I would be be 
more hesitant to trade Pod Colson than I would Niels Hoaglander. Now, obviously, Pod Colson's far from untouchable. If it's the right player and the right package and there's a team that really, really values him uh, and, and it gets you an impact player, of course you do it. But again, like Niels Hoaglander, He's on. He's the one on the shooting on the hot shooting streak, right? He's the one contributing at the NHL level. That suggests to me that his value is probably higher in his kind of cycle, the natural cycles of ups and downs that that uh, hockey players go through in terms of value than Pod Colson is. Whereas Pod Colson, and to the people asking about how he's doing at the AHL level, you know, as you said, playing pretty well. He has 18 points in 24 games, 10 goals. Obviously, he had that. Uh, that scary hit where he left the game and, and missed a few games earlier in the year, but he's back, he's healthy, he's playing regularly and contributing. And, you know, again, as we talk about, okay, how are they going to really tune this roster, fine-tune this roster going into the playoffs? Could Vasily Colson be an option in the bottom six with that speed and physicality? Can he earn the trust to play, you know, a regular shift uh, by the time the playoffs roll around? I'm not banking on it, but I wouldn't rule it out either as an option that you could call up. So, yeah, if he's a if some team is really really interested in Vasily Podkolzin as a trade asset, sure that's great. But I also think there's a strong argument to be made about cashing in on Hoaglander while his value is peaking a little bit and holding Podkolzin to see what he can do for you uh, a little bit down the road. Six fifty six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Uh, Three Putt Shane says, "Who who should we be looking at out there? Who's the best available Dan Milstein client?" I mean, I don't know. I don't know if the Andre Kuzmenko situation has uh, has broken the Milstein to the Canucks pipeline, but we'll see what they actually no. end up doing. <laughs> no. I mean, if that was the case, like his usage was already sus before they acquired um, Nikita Zadorov. Yes, that's true. Yeah. No, I don't think there's I don't think there's any doubt that that one's still hot. Um, top available. Dan Milstein. I'm like looking Clyde. this up. Yeah. I actually need to know. Go find it. Find it. I'll rag the puck here for a second. You see who he's got, who's a, a potential trade target right now. 650, 650. A uh, couple people texting in about Yoel Erickson Eck from Minnesota. And yes, he would be an f- absolutely phenomenal fit. He's also signed to a long-term deal there in Minnesota at a very, very reasonable number. I know it's been a really tough season or an up-and-down season at least for Minnesota. I have a hard time imagining what's going to prompt them to do that deal in season. If if for some reason they did decide to move on from him, it feels like more of a deadline trade uh, to me than anything else. But Or sorry, a, um, a draft trade, I should say, than anything else. I also have a hard time seeing exactly what the logic would be uh, from their side. So, hey, look, if he's available, <laughs> go do it. Go do it. That would be phenomenal. I just really struggle to see the situation in which he's available. Do you have the Milstein client update for us, Trance? Yeah, I mean, I think it would probably be. There's just not a lot of, there's not a lot of Milstein expirings, but I think it would be Barabanov, um, especially from a Canucks perspective, mm-hmm. because obviously, with how well both Demko and DeSmith have played, you wouldn't expect them to have interest in Vladar, who's not an expiring, but we we all know, you know, that Calgary's goalie's situation is one to keep an eye on ahead of March eight. Uh, as Austin and Langley texts in again, he says uh, Kuzmenko is probably the most valuable Milstein client who might be available uh, at the trade deadline. Keep those texts coming in. Uh, not a lengthy Rick Tockett availability today following practice in Buffalo, but uh, as usual, let's hear from the head coach of the Canucks, Rick Tockett. Coach, when you look at the tape, what adjustments are you focused on in terms of getting ready for Buffalo? 
Well, I mean, they got you know explosive uh, uh, offense, and it's actually you know we've played some teams, Jersey, Rangers, Pittsburgh that have explosive offenses. So we're kind of used to playing these type of teams. Um, but saying that, you know, a guy like Thompson, you got to really be careful of because he's got a hell of a shot, um, and they've been playing well lately. So you know we're on guard, and uh, and we like we, we go into every game like that. You have to be on guard when you play teams like that. In the lead up to the last few games, there were some questions about sparking the power play. Now, of course, five on five scoring has has allowed you to maybe take a bit of a breath. What are you focused on in, in getting that spark? I know you scored the last game, but wanting to get it going, especially down the stretch. I just attack mode, Kate. I think when we're attacking, you beat pressure. I think when we beat pressure, we want to have an attack mode. Sometimes when we beat pressure, we're looking for plays. We take it back out. And I think if we if we if we decide that if we do beat pressure and we have numbers at the net, like let's get the puck to the net, which we did. Millsy had a hell of a play. We had Kuzi in front. Brock was a stick in the in the middle, and he threw the puck there, and we got a goal. So I think that's really the message is to play more of attack mode on the power play. We talk a lot about the process, and this is a group that that certainly, from the answers we've got, isn't complacent, isn't satisfied, wants to keep going, especially while they're on this. Um, they're finding this yeah, consistency. Sure, sure. How much pride do you take in that at this point? That this group just continues to want more. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the, the good thing, and, and also it's a bad thing for me because I want the players to enjoy it. I don't want them just to, you know, hey, it's another game. I thought, but it's, you know, after a game, you're on the bus, you're going to the airport, you know, you've won four or five in a row. In the bus, you know, guys are talking, but it's not, nobody's yelling and screaming and hooting and hollering. It's like, okay, on to the next city. And I kind of like that, but I also want them to enjoy it too. It can't be just too stale. So I think you're trying to find the happy medium. And, but I do like the fact that guys are very even keel and, uh, you know, they're on to the next game. Um, but as a coach, you still want them to enjoy it broader question you are lucky to have such an incredible goalie tandem one of the best in the league when it comes to the way hockey's gone the last few years developing into what some would call a shooter's league how do you think that changes the perspective and the psychology of the position well yeah i mean it's you know obviously the league wants offense everybody's got skill everybody wants offense 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 and i think which is a good thing um so the goalies are under a lot of heat but if you can have really good structure in front of your goalie we have obviously an unreal goaltending duo if we can make them play half the net if we can protect the backside, make their job a little bit easier even though there's a, they're great shooters in the league so that's kind of our philosophy and um you know, we're lucky we have those two, those, those two those goalies if we do make mistakes that they cover up our mistakes. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett, as I said, briefly speaking to the media after the team practiced in Buffalo, ending with some praise for the team's goaltending duo. And they have really kind of been the under-the-radar story of this road trip because even in the games where the Canucks have, you know, won going away a little bit, they've had to make some really big saves at key moments, and Depko certainly had to last night as well uh dipping back in to the inbox as we're talking trade and looking ahead to the deadline this text comes in is doing nothing a viable option and i really don't think it is now that doesn't mean you know there's there's a lot of room between doing nothing and breaking the bank for jake gensel or the other top player on the market whoever it ends up being right for a pure rental there's a lot of a distance between those two points those two extremes on the spectrum but as much as we have people texting in worrying about, hey, you don't want to upset team chemistry by making a trade, you know, you have a good thing going here, why don't you just stamp hat and ride with the team you've built? You know, everything we hear is that 
players get a huge shot in the arm when you go when when the management group shows that they believe in you and they go out and make an addition that's really really big from a player's perspective and i think when the team is having as much success as they have this year i'm not saying it has to be the biggest move that any team makes at the deadline but I think you have to do something. I think you have to do more than tinker also, right? I don't think it can be four-flying penalty killer, and that's the only move that the team makes. You know, I think there's a threshold you have to clear. Maybe it's a top six forward, right, as Jim Rutherford mentioned uh, to Pierre Lebrun in his interview at The Athletic. And, again, that doesn't mean Jake Gensel. It could mean a lesser top six forward. But I think you have to do something to give your players that shot in the arm, that vote of confidence so they can look at it and say – all right, we've convinced these guys. They believe in us. We've got reinforcements. Let's go do this. I don't think doing nothing is a viable option for that reason. No. No, we all know that, I think, right? Like, I think that's absolutely baked in now. The team's going to have to make a move. And and look, you know, I think management's commentary on the matter makes that a fait accompli in some ways, right? Like, they've raised expectations which is totally fine, by the way. That's not criticism. It's just reality because although their commentary has to some extent set you know the bar a little bit higher, that bar has fundamentally been set by how this team's performed. Yeah, right? that's it's, the thing. It's like management's commentary is reactive to the performance of the team as it should be. And that's the thing. There's no way around that. If they come out, no. if they come out this week and are like, "Well, you know, we we want to see where this is going before we really want to add anything," like that's that's hugely detrimental to the team at that point. You have to acknowledge what they're doing and be re- be realistic about it. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, there's probably some extent to which you got to be responsible a little bit too. But you know, responsibility takes a back seat when you've got a shot. You know, and, and that's okay. Like, I, I think that's okay once you're at this level. Um, but I do think you need to be mindful of, you know, certainly bleeding value in the rental market in particular. Yeah, the rental situation is a, is going to be a fascinating one. And how they balance that looking for the player with term versus the maybe a more affordable rental option is going to be really, really interesting. I'm sure they're going to talk about it a lot between now and the trade deadline or wherever they do make a move. Uh, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. Dmitry Filipovich from the Hockey PDO cast is going to join us next. Always a pleasure to chat with Dmitry. We'll look ahead to some of the Canucks' upcoming opponents. Uh, before we get to that, though, Vancouver Giants, their next home game coming up Sunday, January t- 21st. It's a 2 p.m. start time, so Perfect chance to take the family to catch some WHL action. It's the Giants against the Kelowna Rockets. Again, that's on Sunday, January 21st. You can buy your tickets at the Vancouver Giants website. For more on the Giants, let's go to the Giants Report with play-by-play broadcaster Nathan Cantor. Western Hockey League trade deadline has come and gone, but not before the Vancouver Giants could get in on the action, making two key acquisitions earlier this week. First off, on Monday, a couple of days ahead of the deadline, they acquired forward Tyson Zimmer from the Lethbridge Hurricanes in exchange for Colton Lankow, a second-round pick in 2024, a third-round pick in 2025, and prospect Kai Anderson. And then on Wednesday morning, on the morning of the trade deadline, an even bigger acquisition, Connor Levis, acquired by the Giants 
Kamloops Blazers in exchange for three draft picks, a first-round pick in 2025, a second in 2024, and a fourth-round draft pick in 2026. Now, both these players adding a much-needed scoring punch, scoring depth, to the Giants lineup and two players who at 19 years old hopefully will return next season as impact 20-year-old forwards. General Manager Barkley Parnetta spoke of these two acquisitions and what they bring to the lineup for the Vancouver Giants. They both are one-shot scorers. They both have put up good numbers in the league and, and they both bring a dynamic that's a little different. Rounds out a, a top older group of a little more dangerous scorers for us now. Parnetta was asked about why the team decided to buy in making these two additions to the lineup. Here's what he had to say. I thought we'd be a little more comfortably in the playoffs, and, and I think that was a push. I think that, uh, you know, we owe the kids in the room and, and the people that are coming to the games to see that, you know what, last two years we've traded our captains away and we still managed to do quite well, but uh, now we're on the other side of that. It's time to start going the other direction and, and add things and sort of just the commitment to saying that, you know what, we're, we're taking that step and, and we're getting serious about, you know, building towards this year and next year, not just, you know, three or four years from now. Now, Zimmer has already played two games for Vancouver. He debuted on Tuesday and scored the shootout winner over the Prince Albert Raiders. He was the only player, the only of 12 players, six on either side, to score in the shootout. And then on Wednesday or against the Saskatoon Blades, Zimmer also had a goal his 13th of the season. Levis has not played yet for the Giants, and he will debut tonight as the Giants are in Regina to take on the Pats at the Brant Center. Levis comes in with 28 points this season. He was third on the Kamloops Blazers. Both these teams pretty even records as far as the standings go. Giants with 34 points in eighth place in the Western Conference. The Pats are in 10th place in the Eastern Conference, also with 34 points. Puck drop tonight, 5 o'clock Pacific time, starting on the alt stream right here on Sportsnet 650. For your Giants report, I'm Nathan King. Welcome back to Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650, Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, final segment of the week, live from the Kintech studio, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Now joining us uh, in studio, joining me in studio, as he does every Friday, our guy, host of the Hockey PDO cast, Dmitry Filipovich. Tim, what's going on, man? Happy New Year! Fellas, Happy New Year. First time in a couple weeks. Good to be yeah, back. It's very, uh, very, very exciting. And before we get into the hockey, I, uh, I got to say a big thank you on my behalf, on behalf of my family. Do you know why I'm saying thank you to you? No. Any number of reasons for, for- sure. <laughs> For introducing us to Saxophone Squirtle. Oh, my God. Pre-Christmas. Game changer. So you tweeted about it. I think it was like December 22nd. Mm -hmm. For people who don't know what this is, it's literally like a 15-second clip of Squirtle the Pokemon playing saxophone. There is a 10-hour YouTube video on the loop that you can watch for those feel so inclined. And I showed it to my five-year-old daughter. 
And I'm not joking. Not one bit of hyperbole. It was literally the hardest she's ever laughed. <laughs> hardest she's ever laughed. And now it's a big like, hey, we're having trouble getting ready to go out the door in the morning. Like, hey, put your boots on. I'll show you saxophone squirtle. So it's, it's been a big tool for our family. It's good for any occasion. Feeling <laughs> feeling a bit gloomy and a long work day. Put it on. I'll cheer put you it up. on. Yeah. Absolutely. So thank you to you for bringing saxophone squirtle into my life. Um. On the hockey side of things, before we get into the Canucks' upcoming opponents, I mean, I feel like we got to spend a little bit of time talking about the Canucks, because really, I think one of the stories this week in the NHL, the lotto line, the top line going back together, and then the string of results and some of the highlight reel goals and passing plays they put together uh, on this four-game road winning streak this week. Does it feel different to you watching the Canucks over these last four games than it did watching them, even when they were winning a lot earlier in the season? It does. It certainly does. I before we get into that though, have we? Where are we with convincing Tom to actually call it the Lotto Line, even though so the configuration? Is he a bit has off? slipped multiple times this week and called it the Lotto Line. Like I feel like even. Drancer is not going to be able to he's die really, on this hill. He's usually really good at committing to the bit. <laughs> he though, really so. is, but I think he's even he is having trouble with okay, this one. That's fair. No, there's uh these past four games. I mean, for a while now, it really has felt a little bit different, and that's I think been the very encouraging part because we don't have to rehash everything that happened at the start of the season in terms of like the inflated percentages yep, yep. and us being skeptical of that continuing. But as this season has gone along, the team, the process has certainly improved, and you watch these past four games, and it's really tough to quibble with, right? Especially with the way that line is performing, and I, it's really fun to watch. I mean, if Pedersen's playing at that level, it totally changes everything for them. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, he four points last night, and as I said, some of the, the passing plays and the goals they've combined on have been really spectacular. The other thing I think that's been, you know, and this has been going on pretty much all season, but now with Carson Soucy back in the lineup – the depth they have on the blue line and the contributions they're getting from all six members or, you know, seven really with, uh, with Noah Juleson included in there as well. It just looks so different, the defensive play than we're used to in Vancouver. And, you know, what are you seeing from guys like Zadorov, Myers, who maybe have had this reputation as, you know, prone to the big mistake. They seem to have quieted that down quite a bit in their games. No, they certainly have. We haven't seen nearly as much of that as we, we've come to expect. And comparing it to last year in particular, like the defensive metrics bear that out. It's not mm. just your eyes seeing that. All of them have been shored up quite a bit. I, I believe the sport logic numbers, I don't have them up in front of me right now, but paint a pretty encouraging picture in terms of the way this team is playing in front of either Demko or DeSmith, regardless of who's in net. And so the sustainability of that is huge, right? Because it's awesome if your goalies are performing well. It's nice to have a starter in Demko playing at the level he did, especially early in the year. But you don't want to just be having him carrying you and relying on that, right? <laughs> no, and so not in this ideally. case, he certainly, when called upon, he's making the big saves, in particular late uh, in the game last night. I know they wound up eventually giving up the tying goal, but he was making some phenomenal saves. The fact that that's kind of fewer and farther between is really huge moving forward. Hi, Dim. What's going on, bud? <laughs> How's it going over know, there? Just, it's just been a while since I chimed in. Trance is deeply um, loopy. I, I, I almost, so I almost you know. forgot you were on the show. I just thought it was me and Jamie here chatting to chat. <laughs> well, you didn't. I thought he was going to jump in when you were asking about the lotto line thing, and he was just like, "No, no. I gave him, a, I gave him a few seconds, and I, I felt it wasn't coming, so I just moved on." <laughs> I'm just not. I'm just not doing the rehash. No, the. Uh, thing i want to ask you about is as follows <laughs> oh my goodness i am loopy the well, that's how you start a question what i want to ask you about is as follows <laughs> good stuff the interesting thing to me about what we're seeing from this canucks team right now is it's not just what you're seeing from the canucks top line 
and that five-man unit that they're using. Like, over the last four games on this trip, they've actually outshot the opposition with all of Bluger, Suter, and Amon on the ice. Like, individually and obviously as a group as well. Um, is there a way that a team improving at the top end can also boost the rest of the lineup? Oh, undoubtedly. There's a snowball effect, right? It's It's kind of like it all adds up in sequence where obviously it's nice if you end a shift with a goal and you get that on the scoreboard, but even if you don't, you just had a positive sequence in the offensive zone, keeping the other team pinned, getting a few shots off, just controlling possession there. Then when the next guys come out there, they're either jumping in in the offensive zone or the opposition's tired and has tired legs and they're taking advantage of that. And it's just a totally different environment for them to step into as opposed to if they're constantly having to do the inverse where they're starting in their own zone, they're playing from behind and fighting an uphill battle. And I think that's kind of exactly that phenomenon you're describing there. So, so yeah, I think there certainly is something to that. One thing we've been talking about a lot is that it does feel like the league itself is a little bit less stratified, a little bit less top heavy. My theory is, you know, we're now in year five or six of stagnant cap growth and, and really the the parody that's mostly been mythological is is in fact true now and i kind of view this league as having like 10 or 12 legitimate contenders this year as opposed to the usual six or seven uh do you see it that way do you think this is a more wide open field than we are used to seeing yes but i also would say and i think we've discussed this on on previous shows you and i where it feels like you can make a, a very reasonable argument that the top five or six teams based on the way they're playing right now are all in the West, right? I was thinking about this with the Kings, for example, where mm. all of a sudden now with the Canucks sort of building their lead in the Pacific, the Kings are falling into the spot where the likelihood of them playing either Vegas or Edmonton in round one is increasing with each passing game. But then you're like, all right, if they fall even further than that and go in a wildcard spot, then they're playing this Canucks team that's obviously playing really well or Winnipeg or the who leads the, yep. the entire league in point percentage. And so you get into a spot where pretty much anyone you play in the West in round one for the most part is going to be a team that looks really, really good right now. And so there's no easy out. And the East is much more wide open. I think you can kind of poke holes in pretty much every team other than maybe Florida, who's on an eight or nine game winning streak themselves. So yeah, it feels like all the power right now resides in the West and that's really fun for us as viewers, but um, for the teams in the Western conference itself, it's, it's obviously pretty precarious. Uh, One team that will not figure into the Eastern conference playoff picture, unless something absolutely incredible happens here in the second half of the season, tomorrow's opponent for the Canucks, the Buffalo Sabres, Mm. Another disappointing season for the Sabres with the oh, hype. No. Oh, this is the year. They're going to do it. They're going to take that step forward. And here we are, 38 points in 41 games. What has gone wrong again for the Sabres this oh, year, Jim? Everything. And I was going to say, <laughs> you know, last night they they play the Senators. They're wearing those throwback jerseys. Tage Thompson yes. scores two goals where it goes barn in. And it's just like, all right, he's back. It finally sounds good. And today he missed practice. He's getting like imaging done or something. And status is unsure. And yeah, it's just, it's been, it's been a season from hell for them. I, I was thinking about this where I think Casey Middlestat has been by far their best player this season. Mm. And while that's awesome for him, and it's nice to see him be kind of that post hype sleeper where he's bounced back after a rough start to his NHL career. That says a lot about this team right now as well, where I think heading into the season, you would have thought, all right, Power, yep. Dolly, and Thompson, Tuck, even Skinner, like you would have had a long list of guys you'd get to before you got to Casey Middlestad. And so it's great that he's playing well, but the fact that he's been their best player, it kind of 
tells you the tale of, tale of their season. I well, guess. it's really notable because one of the the most interesting things about the Sabres or one of the most interesting things is like how aggressive they were about locking up their core of young players in particular. Right. And as you said, that's Tage Thompson, Dylan Cousins, Darlene, uh, Owen Power, you know, Matias Samuelson got mm-hmm. a long term extension. Notably not on that list is Casey Middlestat, right? So like they signed all these other guys to long term deals, not him. He's an RFA. Do you have concerns about that young core or is it simply a case of, hey, they'll be fine, they'll mature, they'll grow, and then they'll add the pieces around them? I'm still optimistic on it. I think in particular you look at their underlying numbers and and they're clearly not very good this year, but they've been much better since Jack Quinn came back from injury. Mm. He was out to start the year after, I believe, tearing his Achilles in the offseason, and so... With better health, you'd like to think that all these guys are going to continue to improve, right? There's still, for the most part, uh, a lot of those guys, other than maybe Tuck, who's kind of in the later stages of his mid-20s, are in those prime development years where they're going to keep improving with each season. And so I would bet on all these guys moving forward and especially getting them signed. Like, I know those cap figures for the defensemen look look big, but if we assume it's going to keep going yep. up by 5% every year, we keep talking about this, that's going to be a good bet for them to make. And so I'm optimistic on it at the same time as we know we were all very high on them heading into the season after what they showed us last year, and we've been disappointed so far. So maybe we should learn from that and and kind of change our perspective, but I just can't quit them. Just quickly, Jarrett, before you jump in, you know, we've talked to Kevin Woodley about this, and he always brings up how just woeful, per his, the clear sight analytics that he has access to, how just woeful the environment is for the goalies mm-hmm. in Buffalo. Does that come across when you're watching them? And like, yeah. What do they need to do to make that not consistently the case year after year after year? Yeah, it looked a little bit better at the start of the year where it felt like they were trying by design to to shelter Devin Levi in particular and be a bit more conservative. Mm-hmm. And so unfortunately that really sapped a lot of their offensive ability and it felt like they were kind of that trade-off wasn't worth it for them. It's regressed in that regard. I believe Devin Levi has like an eight ninety-three save percentage this season, and he's completely even in terms of goals yeah. they've all expected. Like that that is he's performing up to expectation and it's that far below 900. Now, I know league league average is around 903 itself. So it's not that Still. that far below, but that kind of paints a picture of how bad it has been in front of him. And so, yeah, like his season is viewed as a disappointment. And at the same time, it's tough to quibble with those numbers based on what they've asked him to do. And so all of it's been a mess together. I think there's very few positives to take from the Sabre season so far. Dim on Saturday, the Devils will play the Florida Panthers and that game will, and this is maybe only very satisfying to me, be the 656th game of the season, marking the exact half point of the NHL campaign. Figured maybe we could go over halfway through the year. Who are your... Hold on, hold on. I just want to, before you finish here, I always want to jump in and let that Drance told us all that stat in the uh, Canucks Talk group chat just mm-hmm. before you came on, Dimitri. But the way he typed it out, he said, by the way, the official in all caps halfway point of the NHL season is tomorrow, as if we had been disputing the fact. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, no, okay, we're fine, fair enough. No one's disagreeing with you. I'm surprised he didn't start off with, here's a stat as follows. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Bear with me. Okay. I figured we could go over who are your major awards winners mm. Ooh. for the first half of the season. Okay. To celebrate the official. The official, yeah. Point. For all you people Some saying tomorrow isn't the official pathway point of the season. Take that. Well, because fans of some teams would be like, no, we've only played 38 games. Right. 
Well, we don't we don't care about those teams. Look at you from from you know humble blogger beginnings to imitating a nerd voice on sports radio, Drancer. Yeah. You've come a long way. You're no, so, that was you're a so mainstream, bro voice. Tom. That was a what? Laundry bro. No, oh. all right, fair enough. Did you say it's a 656th game? Is that what it was? Yeah. Oh man, if it was only the 666th game involving the New Jersey Devils, right? That would have been. I thought very that's satisfying. where you were going with it, but yeah. No, the um. <laughs> okay, we're getting bogged down in numerology. The heart, who would your heart vote be cast for today? Oh man, that's a good question. I right now I for the first I'd say 2 months of the season I was going to go with Nikita Kucherov because I thought he was by far the most impactful player, but Nathan McKinnon the run he's been on recently, I would lean slightly towards him now. Connor McDavid is obviously making a surge here, but yeah, mm-hmm. give me give me Nathan McKinnon through the first half of the season officially. I'm with you. Yeah, Jamie McDavid. Yeah, I mean he I he's, he's performing in the past 25 games. He's back he's at 150 point pace. Yeah, so he's yeah. he's yeah. outrageous. He's the best player on the planet. Yeah, and he's he is going to drag them into like not just the playoffs, but you know, <laughs> yeah. even higher up. The yeah, right. I mean, honestly, at the end of the season, if he keeps going this way, it it will be McDavid again. The Norris. Hmm. It's got to be Quinn Hughes, right? It's it's got to be. Yeah, is and Kale McCarr second, and then. There isn't even really a viable third right now. Yeah, I mean, split the difference. Pick you know one of the six guys you like. Yeah. Um, okay, and then let's do the Vesna. Well, um, I guess it's got to be. Is, is it? Is it Demko? Still? I just feel like I, we're, I we're putting we're really putting Dim on the spot yeah, here on, on Vancouver Radio. It's yeah, like, just say Demko. All right, yeah, it's got to be on. Demko. Let's do the Jack Adams. It's Rick Talkin. Let's do GM of the year. It's Patrick <laughs> There's an argument for Hellebuck. Yeah, there is. The the, the thing it's is, it's one though, of those two. He's been outrageous lately. The fact that his backup has been just as good, though. But I guess you could make an argument that Casey DeSmith has also been Casey really Smith's good been backing really good. up yeah. Patrick Demko as well, right? So. Generally, those two things kind of go hand in hand, but um, yeah, it's it's between those two guys, and and then I guess third is like Sorokin or whoever you want to put. Selkie, Selkie, yeah, it's still Alexander Barkov for me, and then I think yeah. second is actually Sean Couturier, and that's a pretty good oh, wow. story. Um, but yeah, good for him, man. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, no, he's been he's what been really player. good. I mean, coming back from two missed two missed seasons with back surgeries in his thirties yep. now, like that that's that's a heck of a story. Uh, do you want to do Calder? No. Oh, no. yeah, Calder. Oh. <laughs> it, it, I mean, the betting market still has Connor Bernard as a massive favorite, even though he's going to be out for yeah. six weeks. And I think Luke Hughes has actually passed Brock Faber for, for second, uh, as I was looking at it today. Um, it's got to be Bernard unless they shut him down for the full, for the rest of the season, but I, I can't see them doing that. That would be bizarre. No. Well. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And then I want to do one more. Okay. GM of the year. It's got to be Patrick Alvin, right? Yeah. Yeah, let's, let's let's go with that. That's the least confident yes I've ever heard. Well, yeah. no, you know, I was thinking about it the other day, and I was just like, does, it's kind of got to be Alvin. Does Jim Rutherford get a piece of it? No, it's Alvin. Mm. I think you're right. I mean, just because like, you look at the volume of moves that they've done yeah. and just how the success rate is off the charts. I w- and no, every, everyone else is like, no, what are you going to what are we going to do? We can't possibly make a trade. Oh. Uh, if the Jets finish first in point percentage mm. based on the PLD trade mm. and the fact that he didn't panic and kept Hellebuck and Shifley and re-signed them, and then, well, I guess we'll see what happens at the trade deadline as well. 
but I think that's only, the only real competition right now for it. It's 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 between those two. Shovel day off and Alvin dueling it out for GM. Of Not the what year. I expected. Exactly, as we, all expected. Exactly, <laughs> exactly as we all predicted. Uh, by the way, before we start our draft here, somebody texted in, uh, ask Dim to tier all NHL games from the first half of the season. All right, I'm all six hundred and fifty. Now that we're at the let's official. go. <laughs> you know what? All right, tier forty-five. That, that should have been our draft. <laughs> Drafting regular season games. Yeah. yeah, that Sharks Oilers, the first one this season, would definitely be number one. <laughs> that, that, that was a an good amazing point. game. That's a very, very good point, actually. Okay, do we want to do our draft here to to wrap up the week? We're drafting contenders. Yes. We're so not- basically, we're drafting like teams we think are going to win the Stanley Cup. So we're trying to yep. pick the Stanley Cup winner here. I did twenty Correct. minutes of Reese's products <laughs> research. Yeah. Oh, we could do that. No, too. no, no. no. Let's, let's do contenders. Let's do contenders. I don't want to throw Let's out keep it on Reese's. Yeah. We'll do Stanley Cups as opposed to peanut butter Reese's cups. Reese's Cups? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Nice. Look at you, Tom. Uh, okay, Dave. Yeah, you I can, still got it. You can go first. Still got it. You can go first. Can, do I have to? No. Do you not want I to? I want to. You want to pass go third. it off? I want to go third. Drance, you want to go first? Sure. All right. Picking the Edmonton Oilers. It's a good pick. Yeah. Uh, I will take the Vegas Golden Knights. Actually, no. No, I won't. I'm going to take the Colorado Avalanche. Nice. Wow, did you move your hand off the chess piece, bud? <laughs> hey, nobody jumped in and said anything, so. Give me the Vegas Golden Knights. Oh, dang. And give me the Florida Panthers. Yeah. Okay, back to me. Yep. Uh, I'm going to take the Vancouver Canucks, because why not? Let's go. I've got the Avs, and I've got the Canucks. I'm going to take the Carolina Hurricanes. And I'm going to take. Uh, I'm going to take the L.A. Kings. Okay, I have one more pick here. Oh boy. Uh, I'm going to scoop the Dallas Stars from nice Dimitri, pick. who I assume is about yeah, to pick them right there. Yep. Yep. I'll take the Winnipeg Jets, who we haven't taken. I mean, yet. that's the number one team good, in the that's NHL. A good pick. That's a good pick right there. Um, that is a very and I get good pick. saxophone squirtle and all future references to him with that pick as well. <laughs> Dang it, I should have taken the Jets. Um, so that was a steal of the draft. And then I will take the New York Rangers. Nice. Yeah. Very good. All right, guys. We did it. So hold on. Who do you have, Dreads? I'm I'm mad that I didn't take the Jets. I have the Kings. I have the Oilers, and I have the Carolina Hurricanes. All right. I have the Avs, the Canucks, and the Stars, so I'm Western Conference heavy. I think we let you pick four times, Dim, but that's all. <laughs> okay, you know what? Well, that's good because I didn't feel good about having the Rangers on my list, so I have the Jets, the Golden Knights, and who else did I have? Maybe the Panthers. The Panthers. Yeah, the Panthers. Yeah. That's right. Oh, I think, wow. I I think Dimitri draft. won that draft. Oh, yeah. I might have the three best teams. I think um, I, I might have if I'd taken the Jets. No, you have the Hurricanes on your list here disqualified yeah the hurricanes are awesome i think dim's record in our drafts is pretty good this might be one we can actually grade because we'll find well, we out who won we the should. stanley cup we should actually keep track of this <laughs> yeah. one there's a, there this one is like the rare one where we can objectively keep track of this oh by the way hold on i gotta mention this speaking of our drafts because we drafted outerwear yeah uh, at some point in like i don't know november or something uh for christmas my mom got me a lovely uh like vest like puffer vest you know what i mean yep 
And she was like, I bought this. And then I heard you guys draft it and nobody took a vest. And I was, I was concerned. I was like, oh no, is this going, <laughs> is this going to be a good present? And I had to reassure her. I was like, no, 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 don't worry. It's lovely. It's very, very nice. We should have picked it, but she heard the draft. And oh, she got shout a out to worried. her for, for doing some scouting and listening to the show. <laughs> She's like, oh, no, what have I done? This wasn't on the list. What's going to happen here? At least she didn't buy you hot pants. Yes, hard pants. Yeah. Hard pants. Nobody wants hard pants as a gift. Uh, all right, Jim, thank you, as always, for doing this, man. Uh, PDOcast, anything to plug coming up? Ah, the usual programming, you know, did a mailbag to end the week, did some uh, second half storylines, and I didn't even know that it was the official, the official half. I mean, I should have plugged it as that. That would All you naysayers out there yeah. saying it's not the official halfway point of the NHL season. How dare you? It is. Game number <laughs> six, it five, is. six. The NHL should really be promoting They should that. really, pr- yeah, like, like the Frozen Frenzy. You're like, hey, official halfway point of the season. Very exciting. Uh, and somebody texts in, nobody took the Leafs. Love it. I think that's fair. Yeah. Leafs major question marks, man. No one took the Devils either. That's so like there's good teams we're ignoring. Mm -hmm. Did anyone take the Bruins? No. 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 So, yeah, there's some really good teams we're ignoring. All right. It's it's a wide open um, competition this year. Uh, A quick note on Monday because of the early game between the Canucks and the Blue Jackets. uh, Drancer and I not in our usual spot. Drance will be back in studio but we're going to be on four to six. We're taking over the Canucks Central time slot because Reach and Sat will be doing pregame and postgame uh, for the Blue Jackets and the Canucks game. So four to six on Monday, then back to our regular schedule. Have a great weekend. Enjoy the games. We will talk to you Monday afternoon here on Sportsnet 650.